We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited with me, Jen Ramsey. This week, I am so excited to bring with you, bring to you a really fascinating guest for our discussion. I'd love to introduce you to Dominique Webb. Dominique is a workforce development professional. She's an owner of multiple small businesses, a wife and a beautiful mother. And Dominique is also doing something very interesting this year. She is developing a black beauty consortium to provide a platform for other black businesses in the beauty industry to showcase their products while allowing black consumers to make purchases that will support the black economy. When I heard what Dominique was doing, I was just absolutely fascinated and inspired. And that's why I really wanted to invite her to Your Freedom Unlimited this week. Hers is a wonderful story and very inspirational for all all of us. So Dominique, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor for me to be here. Well, it's just, it's an honor to have you and I'm really excited about what you're doing. So before we start actually talking about that, this amazing new venture that you've got, I'd love it if we could, as we always do on Your Freedom Unlimited, to wind back to hear a little bit about your background and some of your backstory and your journey to where you are now. So I guess the first place I'd like to start would be your early life and what influenced you and who influenced you in that time. Okay. Well, um, I live in uh, Wisconsin um, and I was born and raised in Milwaukee, um, which is the larger city in Wisconsin. And I am one of two children and um, I have a brother, a younger brother. And I would say that I was most inspired by my mother. My mother um, worked in the medical community for a number of years as a medical assistant. And she took her work very seriously. She wanted to be a doctor when she was a child, but she was one of 11 children. She was the second oldest and she ended up being by default, a second mother to her siblings Uh and would subsequently become um, a a mother figure then to her, her siblings, children and other children in our extended family. So she wanted to be a doctor as a child, but she wound up, um, taking another path and becoming her mo- a mother herself and having me and my brother, but her passion to care for others, it never left her. Uh, she would spend her weekends with me and my brother in tow, uh, traveling to and from her siblings' houses and carrying health pamphlets, band-aids, alcohol swaps, pencils, pens, anything that she thought might be you know, beneficial or practical in their households while they rear their children. And she would always offer them um, stern advice and uh, give them some biblical insights as she was a um, uh, a Christian woman and her, um, her beliefs were very dear to her as well. So she always imparted words of wisdom and uh, biblical insights to every, everyone, especially her siblings when she would visit. So We would do that. She would also participate in lots of community um, activities that were Afrocentric as well as um, artistic and cultural. She loved music. She loved color and she loved people. So I spent um, a lot of my time with her. She was very um, attentive as a mother. So my brother and I spent a lot of time with her and her endeavors. Um, It was later after she passed away this summer that um, I wrote her obituary with the help of my cousin. And that was when I recalled all the things that my mother had done and who she was. She was a, she was an advocate uh, for Black Lives Matters before it became 
trendy, you sure. know. Um, she was always that in our community. She uh, started, um, she's the founder of the Black Clowns Association. And the Black Clowns Association, she started to counter the violence in our community that um, many Black children had um, become accustomed to losing people near them um, and seeing violence in their community. She thought this could be a way to, you know, advert some of that by bringing some joy into the community. So she founded the Black Clowns Association and she hired many children, including children in our family. Nearly every child in my family has been a clown. There's not one person in my family I cannot bribe with a picture of them dressed in clown clothing to this day. So um, she started, she started the, the, founded the Black Clowns Association and she, she ran it until she passed away. I think she started it, I would say in 1996. And she, um, she was one woman show for the most part. She called herself Dottie the Clown. And she was uh, very funny. She was an offbeat type clown. She was not really, she wasn't the typical clown. She had her own sense of humor. She's a witty woman. And um, she did that along with other things. She was a poet. Uh, she was a part of the inner city arts council. She was a journalist. She wrote for the community journal and several other uh, well-known black uh, papers here in, in Milwaukee. And um, she interviewed people, um, local celebrities, as well as nationally known celebrities. Um, and so I grew up watching my mother wear all these hats and do all these things. And, um, and that was just quite normal for me. That's just who she was. And it wasn't until she was gone, like, unfortunately, with so many people that, that it really resonates with you, who your parents are and how much you are of your parents. And so in that, um, I am very much <laughs> my mother's daughter. I, um, like her, am uh, very compassionate. I care about people. I care about my community. Um, I am a natural caregiver. I share information. I'm a confidant. People call me for advice and um, I'm trusted. Uh, people deem me credible. So, such was my mother, the same, same person as she. And that way, and I would say she inspired me to be who I am today. Um, I, I, like her, am wearing all these different hats. I'm a mother. Um, I ended up becoming um, somewhat of a journalist when I became a ghostwriter for uh, the previous CEO of the organization I work for today. Wow. For the very, for one of the very same papers that my mother used to write for. Um, I. Um, while I don't have any jobs entertaining people and I never myself was actually a clown. I always gave her pointers, but <laughs> which she would shoo me away. I was always trying to tell her how to do something and she'd shoo me away. And um, because she said, I thought I was a know-it-all. And so, and I was. <laughs> so, um, but like her, I have a lot of different things that I do. I have um, several businesses and um, now this interest that I have in, in beauty, like my mother, my mother was into fashion as well um, and beauty. And she used to take me to fashion shows, actually. She'd go to the fashion fair, fashion shows. Fashion fair is a, um, it's a black cosmetic company. It's one of the first black cosmetic companies in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And they used to have shows here and they would travel through the U.S. And she would take us, me and some of my cousins, um, every year to that show. Um, my mother was um, pretty much a trendsetter. She would dress however she wanted, and it was usually very flamboyant wherever she went, whether it was appropriate or not. Usually for me, it was inappropriate because she was my mother and it was drawing attention to her, and then that would mean it was drawing attention to me, and so that was troublesome or worrisome for me. But um, yeah, she, I, I have a lot of who I am, my tenacity, um, my, um, my wit, my um, compassion and um, the things that I, that I, um, that I, that I am, I'm, I am her yeah. and I, she inspired me greatly. She sounds like such an amazing woman. And, and before we, I, I so appreciate you sharing, you know, her, your life, but all, your early life, but also some of her life and what an incredible woman to be one of 11 and then be so nurturing and supportive of, of, of her overall family, plus do all of these other things, run her own businesses, mm -hmm. 
clown and also be into fashion. So she's very incredibly, it sounds like an absolutely amazing woman. And I'm, I'm sorry for your loss in terms of losing her. It's always very tough when a parent passes. So I'm sorry yeah. for that. But it sounds like she's very much living on in you in terms of, as you've said, the sort of the, the things that you do and, and what you bring to life. And you are a busy mother as, and you also, uh, you know, have had some very interesting experiences when you, um, I understand one of the things you did was working with with um, underserved communities. Could you share a little bit with us about that and about what that experience was like for you? Well, um, my work in workforce development uh, started in 2002, and my initial position was that of a youth development uh, practitioner. Uh, first, uh, an apprentice, and then I was trained up to become a practitioner, in which I looked after children in communities that were labeled as at risk. Mm -hmm. So I worked with these at risk youth that were out, out of school youth. Those are the terms that the government assigned to them. This was a government um, program. Um, and so I worked with these out of school at risk youth to connect them to employment or training opportunities or to get them back in school. Many of them had been out of school, um, because they did not have the support they needed to stay in school. They did not have parents. Uh, they may have been coming to trouble with the law and end up in detention centers, all sorts of things. So um, I started working with the youth. And then from there, I transitioned into not just working with the out of school at risk population. I work with the in school um, at risk population as well. Um, working with these, these youth and, and, and at some point, sometimes adults, cause youth are considered from 16 to 24 years old. Right. Um, and then, and sometimes I did work with older populations, but oftentimes, as, as you mentioned, underserved is what, uh, they were categorized as, and just to see, um, the obstacles that they had had in front of them, um, the fact that they were even before me. Uh, to receive anything from me just demonstrated such perseverance uh. that some of the stories, um, people having lost several people in their immediate family to violence or disease, um, because there is um, an, an overrepresentation of chronic illness in the community as a result of inequality as it relates to receiving services an education, right? So when we get an education, we get a post-secondary education, higher education, we learn to do things better. If we go, even in our, in, even in our secondary education, if we're in a good school district, we learn, we learn why health, you know, and uh, fitness is important and how to, we are, we learn proper nutrition and all sorts of things. And, and some people think, well, you learn those things from your parents. Well, when you are in underserved uh, communities, um, you might not have parents, and your parents, um, oftentimes there is a generational poverty. So mm. I, I learned a lot of things. I learned that for one, there was inequality. Mm. I had not seen it. I didn't know of it. Mm. Um, even though I was a, 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 a black woman, mm. I, was, I did not live in those communities. I was fortunate enough because of my mother's uh, capacity, her tenacity to give us as good of a life as she could with her education. And she did not have higher education. She didn't finish college because she became pregnant with me at 24. She did not finish college, but she was always in pursuit of higher education. And she had earned several certifications outside of her um, secondary education. So she was always learning. She was always pursuing learning. So um, that said, I was spared a lot of things. So I wasn't even aware of how deep inequality was. And it wasn't until I was doing this job that I, I had some peers that had even given me insight to things that were going on that I didn't understand, like uh, the injustices within um, policing. Um, I'm working in these impoverished areas and I'm just attributing these things to these people and their unwillingness to do better mm. kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps type mentality I'm thinking well my mother didn't have a college education and this that and the other and I didn't have this and I wasn't rich and so on and so forth and here I am right um not understanding mm. what was going on um 
the cycles of poverty, the um, the inequality that was uh, the, 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 for example, the housing. Why do they have inadequate housing? Why is their housing inadequate? Does it, and, and by that I mean, uh, these are people that are working jobs. They're paying the landlord rent, but the landlord does not make basic repairs because they don't have to, because these people don't have the time to fight the landlord. They don't have time to go to court and they most certainly don't want to take the chance of being evicted. So, um, right. but right. I would judge because I thought, well, if they take advantage of this program, these things I'm offering, they most certainly can do better and see the government is offering this, 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 this. So I learned that it was not as simple as I thought. There was a lot I no. had not, I had, I did not know. At the time I was only, I was only 24, 25 years old. So I had barely an inkling as to what was going on. I just thought if you do the right things, then good things will happen for you. I didn't know how much my ethnicity or even my gender played a role in the opportunities that I had. Wow, that's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I think for those of us listening, not from the US, you're giving us such a great insight into why things are as they are. And look, like you, I'm a big believer in health and education. You know, I see those as the cornerstones of, of a great life. But you've got to have a parent or someone to teach you those things, to give you those groundings. And if you don't, and if there's generational poverty, as you're talking about, then it's very tough for people. And then if there are all of these constructs around people in terms of landlords not not doing what they should do, injustice from policing, I mean, this makes it a pretty hard road to hoe, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So I, I had lots of lessons to learn and, um, about, about life and about life in America and about life as a black woman in America and then life as a woman. Um, I had heard all of these things and um, I just didn't know, you know, and then slowly, you know, um, it, it started to become clear what was going on around me mm. and that it wasn't going, it wasn't going to be as easy as this nice woman coming to the home of this 16 year old high school dropout and, and sharing with them program information and having them attend these programs that I had uh, developed and then implemented into their community. For me, I was just thinking, you just need to go. You just need to do this. You just need to connect yourself to this and everything would be okay. They still had to go home. Mm. Right. And in some mm. of these cases, these homes that they were going into, they were not supportive. And I don't say that to say that they weren't happy about what I was doing with at the time, Miss Fisher, that was my maiden name, what I was providing for them. It mm. was that they didn't have anywhere to put their things or they could not wash their clothes in a washing machine, or they may have shared a room with several people, or they may have had several people living in their house. Some people may have substance abuse issues. There may be screaming children. There was a number of issues that would interfere with them being successful. So when you see people who come out of poverty stricken situations that come out of the core of the city or were considered at risk, they had to overcome a lot to be successful. It's really incredible. Uh, these are some of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered um, that have come out of these situations um, because it is, I mean, it, it takes so much. And, it, and, and, and I thought that it would be as simple as me sharing information. Mm. I was really naive for a really well, long time. Well, you know, you and me both, I, I mean, and you've, gone you've worked in these situations I haven't but it's it's just you're right it, there's so much more than meets the eye and the, mm -hmm. and this is I think the problems for governments and service providers they think oh well we'll just provide the information you know build it and they will come but it is very hard when when people are in these really stricken circumstances you know where there is you know fancy not having a place to put your personal belongings or you know a place where there is no privacy and and that's to me sounds like one of the one of the issues or you're but, hungry yeah, you're hungry. You don't have food in your stomach. Yeah. So how did you then, That I just think that uh, I want to come back to you talked about learning about life as a black woman, as a, as a black person as, and as a woman. I want to come back and talk about that in just a moment. But before we go there, I just wanted to ask you um, with, you know, you're, you, so you said you were naive, you're in, in, these, in these communities and wanting to provide this service, but clearly 
it's not as simple as going and taking the leaflets and talking to them. How did you bridge the gap? What did you find worked for you, or what? How did you? Yeah, how did you deliver? Get it? Get an outcome that to help people. What did you do? Demonstrate my commitment to them. Mm-hmm. You know, because they have a lot of people that come in and out and say things, and you know, there's people that come into the schools, and you know, and and to to show my humanity, you know, and share as much of who I was, you know to them that, you know, I didn't come from, you know, uh, I come from humble beginnings as well. Mm. And, um, but I, and, and I, and I know that it's a struggle for you to do these things and celebrate. I celebrated everything that they did Mm. every step of the way. Um, That's important because many times these are young people who have never heard anyone say you're smart you know, or you're, you, um, you have potential mm-hmm. or that was really clever or you're funny or any positive things, um, are being said to them or you have nice eyes or, wow. you know, just, just paying compliments, being complimentary and, um, supportive. I mean, I was, like I said, 24, 25 years old and, I would, I would be showing up at meetings at school with these young people. I wasn't that much older than them. Mm-hmm. In many cases, they might be 17, 18, 19, 20. And I would pick them up. If I saw that someone needed a winter coat, I'd take money out of my pocket, buy the coat, get, try to get reimbursed. I'd piece together whatever I could so that I could show support to them. I would, I would show them that I did not want anything to get in the way of what we were working towards, but I had to make sure that they did it on their own so that they could get that sense of achievement, that real sense of achievement. I can, I'm going to assist you, but I promise you, you can do it. You just need a little help. Mm. You might, and it might be something as little for a lot of, a lot of these young people. It's just as something as simple as a transportation allowance to get to and fro. That's it. You know, because they, they are, they are bright enough they are eager enough, you know, um, they are curious enough. They will, they will go to work. They will do the work, but they just, again, like I said, a lot of times it's the support that's not there because you're dealing with situations where there is a lot of generational poverty and lack of education. There's literacy issues, Mm. all sorts of things. So I hope that answers your question. I can ramble. No, you, you've perfectly answered. I'm loving this conversation. And, 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 and what I think I've heard you say there is that you were a consistent, you were a consistent person in their lives. You were authentic to yourself. You were sharing of yourself. You weren't trying to be this person who was, you know, you were just who you were. And, and also you were helping people to see that they could do things for themselves. You know, there's that old saying, um, give a person a fish and they'll, they'll eat for a meal, teach them to fish and they'll, they'll eat for a lifetime. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that, you know, your, your modus operandi was that to just help them take that action for themselves, because when we can learn to take an action for ourselves, and I know I've had to learn that in my life, you know, once you do it for yourself, then you know, you can do it. So it's that real sense of self-esteem and, yes. and even coming down to those, those small basics of just complimenting someone or noticing the goodness in someone that's, that's, it, it's so powerful, Dom. It's heartbreaking that that you might have been the first person in their, their lives to say that. But how what how what a blessing that you were there to to do that and and you know just just fantastic. So I wanted then move on to you said you said you learned you so you learned a lot about being a black person and being a a, a, a woman. Is there anything you wanted to ex- what did you learn when you say you learned about being a black person and and about being a woman? Well, I learned that <laughs> people were judging me based on the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never really, seen that? I was really, I was really fortunate in that. Even though I grew up in a predominantly, well, I'm in America; it's predominantly white. Okay, I'm, so, but I'm in Wisconsin. There's other parts of the country that are they have. Um, larger populations of black people that live together. I lived in communities that were more diverse or um, more, uh, I was exposed to more white culture. One of my best friends growing up was Italian and I spent a lot of time with her family and um, learned a lot about their culture and how they communicated the meals that they enjoyed eating and 
and I spent time with her family and there were people in her family that were racist and her parents and, and, and she would tell me, they would tell me, they'd be like, Oh, grandma, so-and-so she's racist, but she won't, she's fine or whatever. And I would go to the, to the grandma's house with them. Mm-hmm. I was their daughter's black friend mm-hmm. and they would talk about different things. I never heard them say anything derogatory, but I mean, they didn't greet me with a hug and a kiss either, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't care. It didn't bother me. I was, I was a young kid. It, you know, I was probably like 10. This is between 10 to 13, you know? And um, I had been in, I had one situation I recall. This was the first time. And I think the only time someone called me the N word, we, oh. there was a situation where there was a, a neighborhood dispute between kids. And, um, and like I said, I had grown up in neighbor. I, I, I had a lot of friends that were white and black um, and many times white because of the neighborhoods I lived in. And so I'd never heard this word being said in that way. And it was, it was so hurtful. It stung mm. so bad because I was a kid mm. and, and it was, there was a fight. So it was a tension was really high. It was some children that had gotten into a dispute and um, the parents got involved or the parents of the, the little white boy got involved and the father was very looking back on it. This community that we were in, they had some low income housing in it. This father looking at my adult lens and what I know now, he probably was unemployed. This was in the middle of the day. He, he shouldn't have even been at home. He had no shirt on when he came mm. outside and he was pretty, you know, he might've even been drinking mm. and he was really nasty. He was like, you bleeping and I can smell the grease in your stinking hair. It was oh. that thing. Oh. And oh. it was so hurtful. Yeah. And it was, it was, I don't know if you've ever, if someone's ever hit you or you've ever hurt yourself or you've been dazed. Mm. Mm. It was like that. I remember like feeling like, um, time stood still. Wow. It really spun me. Yeah. I, well, that feeling of days, I have hit my head a couple of times and I, I do know that what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's what it felt like. So you're just like taken out. Yeah. Like, it, it's, yeah. And, and here in a neighborhood where you had felt completely accepted and completely, completely one, of, one of the gang. Yeah. Completely uh, comfortable. Never encountered anything like that. That really like, whoa I'd heard about these things from my mother of course and you know your the elders you know in your family they tell stories and such and I'd seen things in history books at school where they talked mm-hmm. about it but you know they paint a picture in such a way in school you know so it was very like oh people aren't that way anymore right yeah you know and I think I had even seen this kid's dad before never thought of him to be that way mm. um so it was really shocking yeah yeah, I can, I can imagine. Yeah. So, so keep going. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, I didn't know I was black. I didn't know what that meant, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was black. But I didn't know. I didn't know it was a problem. Mm. You know, I didn't know it was a problem um, living here in America because on the surface, we are the world, right? Yeah. Isn't right. that what Michael Jackson said? We all get along. Mm-hmm. We're all a Pepsi commercial we're we're coca-cola we're you know it's and and when you're a kid it feels that way and you believe that and as you grow up until you encounter racism up close and personal or sexism Mm. now that one takes a minute to get to sometimes Mm. depending you know Mm. and usually you find out from those closest to you what that's all about right Mm. so yeah these are just you know life lessons that um took a while to get to but i'm i'm learning well i think we all are and um and i think definitely the black lives matter movement's been so fantastic to really draw attention to all of this i mean here's hoping one day soon we get to a point where it doesn't matter the color of our skin and it's not acceptable that that's a, a a situation that people would would you know, uh, make a decision, you know, may have a belief around. So, and in terms of being a, a woman in America, how, how has, you know, what's your experience of that? Well, <laughs> 
Um, the sexism. So I just wanted to really, yeah, just ask. Yeah. I just, I guess that again, I, I didn't realize how much was being taken away from me because of me being a woman, because of my gender that, you know, I was being passed over for opportunities. And again, I, I just was simply of the belief that if I worked really hard, I would just, you know, get things. And, and I guess I should have known one, I had an incident at work where I was working solely on this project. I was working on a lot of projects, but this project in particular, I was working on and I was really proud of it. And then it had gotten the attention of the mayor and my colleague though, was asked by my boss, both males to go and speak to the mayor about my project. Uh. And I'm like, what? I didn't know if that was because I was a black, black woman or just a woman, but mm. I certainly didn't feel like it would have happened if I were a white male or yep. if I were a man. I just didn't, I could not, how, how, but that's, is, that's, but I, I, I called my colleague and I talked to my boss and I was there the next day for that meeting, but I, I couldn't believe the, the audacity, mm. you know, like why, how did this even happen? You know, why is this happening? You know, um, I've been working very hard on this project, but it was, it was really, it was just taken away from me, essentially, Yeah, you know. That's right. It sounds so, like you stepped back in and that's the, that's, I did. that's, and that's about advocating for yourself, isn't it? You know, this is, yes. you know, I, I've, I have to say I've had, a, I've had an experience in the workplace where, yes, where not always something's been taken away from me, from me, but because a male had thought that he could take me down and could speak to me in a particular way because I was a young woman, about 25. Mm. And mm. Uh, it was funny. It was in that defining moment that I actually turned around and for the first time, I think really advocated for myself. And that's where I really learned that actually didn't matter what other people thought. It was what I thought of myself and that I could take a stand in a situation without being, um, without, without being overly aggressive, but I could actually be assertive within myself. So, yes. you know, that was a big lesson for me. And, and sounds like you were very, you advocated for yourself very well that day. I did that day, but you know, I, I think back at different things and, you know, you, you know, better, you do better. Mm. Um, I had experienced so many things that, you know, looking back, I just thought it was okay. And I just, I just accepted it as a woman, like mm. the way that I was a receptionist um, at one point and men would always say all sorts of things to me. Mm. And I just took it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was okay. Even if it made me uncomfortable, it was more just like, well, that's just, you know, I would excuse them. Mm, mm. And it was, and it was bad behavior. And um, I, you know, but that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I've learned, I definitely learned to advocate for myself. And I know I learned advocacy from my mother. I know that. Um, so, and, and that's one of the things I'm just thinking about some of the stuff we talked about and I'm thinking about the youth that I work with, how I would teach them how to advocate for themselves and the new positions that I would get them into for work or they would get themselves into and, um, and in school and in and, and any other endeavors, but teaching them how to have a voice and even sometimes in their own home, teaching mm -hmm. them to have a voice, you know, saying to people, I have something important to do tomorrow. I will need quiet. Mm. or I will need this space, you know, that sort of thing. So I love that. I love that. And something that I've talked about a lot on, on the podcast is I talk about um, the emotional frequencies we need to hold to create the life that we want. And, you know, I've talked about things like trust and love and gratitude and acceptance and allowing, but something that I, I really, you've, you've really highlighted today that I want to add to that list now is this idea of personal advocacy of, mm -hmm. of feeling comfortable to speak for yourself and to have that voice. So thank you so much for the the sharing and the lessons you've given us in that space. It's it's really it's been so such a great conversation so far. And I want to now turn to your really exciting chapter for 2021, which is this Black Beauty Consortium. I when I heard about it, I was super excited and that's why I wanted to have you on the show just to to hear about that. So perhaps could you share with us a little bit about what that is and and what what motivated you to, to start it, to bring this idea into, into, into life? Yeah. So I've always been interested in or admired 
beauty and fashion, like a lot of young ladies and or young people, you know, I mean, who doesn't admire mm. beauty, right? We'll and then you see, this, you see these glossy magazines and, you know, you just flip through them and you just get to escape for a little while, right? Mm. So I've always been interested in, in that. And um, as I got older, of course, life took me in different directions, but now I'm in a place where I have done a lot of work and it has paid off. And I, I feel like now I can pursue something that is a passion. And I have a passion, of course, for serving people and helping people and educating people. And I can still do that while getting completely immersed in the fashion and beauty industry. Well, I say more so beauty, though. So I, I decided that I wanted to provide um, or become a Black beauty consortium. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially a beauty supply store, but I like consortium better because, better. Cons- <laughs> yeah, consortium is it's several things in, in, in this like setting, right? So I'm trying to provide, or I will provide a platform for black, uh, black beauty uh, practitioners, uh, stylists, uh, people who create um, beauty and wellness products, I will provide a space in a, uh, a physical store mm-hmm. as well as e-commerce, mm-hmm. um, which will allow them to have another, uh, another revenue stream in addition to whatever they may have set up. Mm-hmm. But this came about really because um, a lot of times in black communities, there are beauty supply stores, but they are, they are, operated and owned by um, Asian um, storekeepers. And Mm -hmm. that has caused some issues in the past because of cultural insensitivities. Right. Um, Yeah. And, and, And so much so that some people had felt threatened even in the store by being followed or harassed while they shop. We've even had instances of violence and in stores where the storekeeper gets into heated, com- you know, confrontations with people, and but more so, uh, what is prevailing um, is the fact that they are not black, but they are selling all black products mm. for for black hair. And the real problem then becomes we are n- we're not getting. There's no education around it. So mm-hmm. I can't speak to the storekeeper about which product. They can't consult me. They mm-hmm. can just point me. This is there. That is there. This is there. That is there. Um, but I'm not getting any true consultation on the product. I'm not getting any education um, around the product. It is just simply a, pers- a purchase, right? And that is something that really bothers people in the Black community because... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money spent there and um, it just, there's a, it's clearly a disconnect. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. I mean, the thing, I mean, I've got curly hair and, and it's pretty wild and, and, and difficult. And when I think about the amount of money I've spent on products, hoping they might work, you know, this, right. is, this comes down aside from safety when you're shopping and feeling welcomed into a place, this comes down to a financial issue for people as well. You don't want to be buying three products because you don't know which one when you could actually just have one that would work. So, well, if you're a storekeeper and only you, you only want to profit, that's mm. a, you love it, right? Yeah. It, I have recently been in rooms with stylists who have basically indicated that this type of servicing that is being done by these stores or lack of service has contributed to a lot of hair loss in the community. Really? Among other things. Absolutely. Because they're just buying products. They're not getting any, they're, they're selling whatever is trending, whatever is popular. They study our culture. They uh-huh. study what we watch on TV you know, as any good, you know, uh, marketeer does. Right. Uh-huh. So we're being studied, but it's, there's no true education behind it. It is just a profit. It's all pure profit. So really this was born out of my desire 
to help the community in that way. We want an experience, a service experience when we come into the beauty supply store, because like a lot of us, when we shop, it's a bit of an escape, right? Uh-huh. So, and, but we definitely want to leave with a product that is going to work for us. That is going to beautify us. And that is going to make us healthier, right? Uh-huh. We don't want something that's going to do the opposite. Um, we're not going in there taking, trying to take chances, Um, But and if you've ever been in these stores, they're huge. A lot of times there's so many products. They're not even organized in any sort of waste. A lot of times it's just it's like it's just like a swap meet sort of is what it looks like. It's like there's so much money being made. They don't even have to care about organizing a decor (laughs) Wow! (laughs) because it's a need. And they're the only ones that are are taking care of the market that they have that corner of the market and it's all for us. It's all of our products. So it's, so that's where the, the need, the desire really came from is just really being tired of going to places like this and, you know, not being even appreciated. You really don't see a lot of black people even working in these stores or are part of the buying product. They don't even have us involved. So what I wanted to do then was to establish from the entire supply chain, for my black beauty consortium to be black from yep. my vendors distribution. And, and I just want to support the black economy. I want to allow for individuals who want to be intentional with their purchasing power to be just that, to be socially responsible and intentional. Mm. And I have That's, to say, well, I love this. And I, this one of the things that really inspired me. And, you know, when I heard you talk about this initially was that, it's this supply chain piece. So it's not just sourcing products from anywhere. It's actually about, you know, black creators and product makers actually being able to have a, a space to, to develop their products. And because you've mentioned to me before, before we the, the, this interview, you mentioned that even getting financing to start can sometimes be difficult. I, you know what? Businesses can be difficult. Absolutely. Yes. That that's the other thing. When people migrate into the USA from other countries, a lot of times they are eligible for monies that will allow them then to establish a business. A lot of times there's opportunities in for someone to migrate here, then get money to start a business. Whereas in, if you are born here and you're black, you cannot just get funds to start a business. There's things you can apply for and there's government grants available and so on and so forth. But if you've been disfranchised in your entire life, you're not literate to even do such things. You most certainly don't have the financial literacy if someone did even give you the capital to sustain such things. Mm, mm. So there's a lot to it. Mm. Fortunately for me, like I said, I have been able to establish some other businesses and have some other ventures in which I'm going to be able to start without having to concern myself with you know, borrowing or that sort of thing. But to get to where I'm trying to go, I am going to need, you know, the assistance of others. And, and right now I'm doing that by just connecting with different people in the industry from stylists to uh, chemists to um, people that work in other facets of the industry from the digital marketing. I mean, I want every facet of this to support the black economy. I'm looking for anyone that is of color that can latch themselves onto this idea and we can all come together and really make substantial change in the industry. Mm-hmm. And eventually I would like us to be able to come together back in the continent, go to Africa and have a, a hair expo. You know how they have the Canes Film Festival and mm-hmm. things like that? I would love to have something like that in Nairobi for all of the uh, beauty industry to come together and, and acknowledge and celebrate Black beauty and its uh, contributes. Well, I think, wow, that, that I've got goosebumps as you say that. So I think that's definitely on the cards for you and... Um, what a what a what an and that's the whole thing. It's about you're not looking at this as just a small venture, Dominique. I, I feel this is quite a big, this is a big venture that is going to really empower so many people. Such a such a such a great thing, and to be able to get, go back to Africa would be even more powerful. Really, really great. Yes, just amazing. Such such a vision, and so in terms of. Um, the, you know the specific benefits what how do you think it's going to really help um, creators you know black people who are creators of products or have a creative idea how will you engage them how will you you bring them on board 
Right now, I've been connecting with a lot of individuals using the the Clubhouse app that just became available um, recently to me. It has really opened up a broad, I mean, when I tell you I've met people all over the world that are in the beauty industry, I met a woman that is curating uh, black beauty um, items, Smithsonian style. She's collecting things from around the world. I've met a Nigerian beauty pageant winner, pro basketball player, fashion designer who's having a ball in Houston, Texas that she's invited me to. I've met a, a Liberian rapper who has invited me into um, his realm. Is I mean, so I can't begin to tell you. Mm, that's right. I can't begin to tell you this clubhouse has opened up so much. So it's really, it's word of mouth right now. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily I am still in the architecture stage of it all. So I, um, and I'm in, in the process too, of just getting the foundation together by virtue of this e-commerce and, uh, the, the bricks and mortar, um, and, and such. So I want to have all of these things together before you know I pull them completely in but I'm already reaching out and touching touching um hands with people well virtually touching hands with people um about this idea and I've gotten a lot of strong feedback so I'm I'm excited about what's to come um so I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, it does. And it really is an idea for our time. And um, for those listening to this podcast, if you haven't heard about Clubhouse, it is amazing. And um, it's, that's how Dominique and I have met. It's actually how she's come to be on the, on the podcast today is because we've met through this incredible new app. So I'll be putting some information about Clubhouse on my blog that goes with this interview so you can have a little bit of a, bit of a look at that. But it is, it's, uh, it's still in beta mode. So some of us are in and some of us are not. But um, I just, Dom, I think it is an idea for our time and um, I've been really, I've just really so much enjoyed our conversation today because, you know, the time's right, you've, you're meeting the right people and this is one of those big ideas that's got the opportunity to really shape not only how women, you know, enjoy a beauty experience, but it's got, a re- it's really to me an idea that has the opportunity to shape, you know, generations to come, you know, women makers, artists, creators in, in the community can have a place to to really shine. So this, I just wish you all the best of luck with this and, and we'll keep in contact as you go through. We'll have you back in the future as you as you go through this because I think it's going to be an interesting um, an interesting business to track. And that's what we're very interested in here on Your Freedom Unlimited is how do people really live their dreams and take action on their dreams and you to me are someone who's you've, you've as you've said the time's right for you you've got the the backing behind you now to actually then do something like this so yes and, and you know and I guess in closing you know a, a couple of questions and these questions I always ask on the podcast and one of the one of them is about what freedom means to you you know you're an amazing courageous woman you know you're full of life and doing so many amazing things for people now and, and into the future, you really, to me, embody this philosophy that I talk about at Your Freedom Unlimited around living and taking action on your dreams. So what does what does freedom mean to you? I know it's a big question, but what does it mean to you? Ah, freedom, what does it mean to me? I think that um, to be free means to be without barriers Mm. and um and that could be a frame of mind it could be a physical barrier it could be a physical a a physical barrier in that something is in front of you or it could be a physical barrier and by way of your health you know um just to be free of barriers i love when i think of freedom i love that and i agree with you i think and the first one is is that freedom within your mind and that's Mm -hmm. What do you think and feel about yourself? How do you see yourself in the world? And um, how do you, I think in the other thing that I, the other thread that I really wanted to draw on from our conversation today was how you can advocate for yourself and and then show others how to advocate for themselves. So, which is something that you do so beautifully. And one final question is, um, have you got a tip for anyone, just one tip for anyone who's listening who might be struggling right now, who might be wanting to make a decision or might be struggling with something somewhere in their life? Have you got one tip that you would like to share with us? Um, 
I would say joy will come in the morning. That's something that was said to me when I experienced a personal tragedy that lost someone near me, very near and dear to me. And that was said by the pastor that came to my house. And at that time, I was just like, I don't see any joy coming in the morning. I was very heartbroken and sad. But now um, I'm on the other side and I know what that means. Mm -hmm. Joy does come in the morning. Tomorrow will bring you something different, something anew. Mm -hmm. And it, first of all, will give you a new start, right? Mm -hmm. So joy does come in the morning. You may not feel it immediately, but it will come. And you just have to hang on. Just hang on. Mm. Just hang on. Thank you. I think that's just beautiful. You're exactly right. You're speaking to time, the passage of time, and hang on because that this this too shall pass, whatever you're going through, and there is some some joy in the morning. So thank you so much for that. So, Dominic, we're towards the end of the interview. Where can people connect with you to if they want to find out more about your new venture, if they want to participate, if they want to help you in some way, what is the best way that they can get in contact with you? I can be reached on Instagram at Dominifish, D-O-M-I-N-I-F-I-S-H at G at Dominifish. That's <laughs> I'm not even good at giving my own hashtags. Um, Dominifish um, on Instagram and then Dominifish at Gmail is my email account. And I'm also just Dominique Webb on the um, in the clubhouse. If you're able to access the clubhouse, if you've been invited, I am there. And I'm, I'm wide open on Instagram, so you can easily find me just under Dominifish. And again, like I said, I am open to receiving emails, even if you just have people that are just curious mm -hmm. to learn more or want to be a part of, you know, my Black Beauty Consortium. Um, the, that's the best way to reach me. Thank you so much. Well, that's great. And we'll put all of those details in the show notes so it's very easy for people to get a hold of you. And, uh, and Dominic, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today, for your sharing of your story and for the sharing of this very exciting venture. We will be talking with you again to hear how things are going. So thank you. Thank you for having me again. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's just been great. Just love talking to you and we'll talk again soon. Take good care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.